0: Welcome everybody to another episode of what the funk. I don't know exactly what episode number this is because we're recording this podcast and it will probably be dropping to you likely I'm thinking first week of November, but today I have a guest with us and I'm super excited to have Haley Colonino. Did I say your last name? Right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, we both have like weird C last names. She's Colonino. I'm Colom. I'm sure people butcher your last name. Pretty yeah,
1: often. yeah, pretty often. I'm <laughs> used to it.
0: I know, same. Um, and I'm super excited to bring her on. And so I'm actually going to let Haley uh, give her own little introduction, so you guys can kind of learn who she is, what she is, and as she introduces herself, tells us what, what she does, what her qualifications are, you guys are probably going to understand why I wanted to bring her on the podcast, um, for you guys to listen and and have another expert and another perspective. Um, and somebody else who is a, what, who, who I think, and I have a lot of respect for you, um, is you have a very, I feel like similar values in the sort of no bullshit realm when it comes to functional nutrition mm-hmm. um, and trying to debunk some of the more toxic trends and pieces of information floating around on the internet. So I'm I'm so excited to have you here. So Haley, go ahead and tell, tell the uh, What the Funk audience who you are, what you do, how you got here. Give it to us.
1: Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me. My name is Haley. I am a registered dietitian and also an online nutrition coach. My company is called Girls Fuel LLC, and I do primarily work with women. The majority of my ladies come to me to overcome gut issues, hormonal issues, and just be able to essentially heal their internal health so that all of their goals can come together and they can feel like they deserve to feel for all their hard work.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. It's, it's crazy to me and probably to you too, because I feel like we have a very similar mission in what we do. And again, it makes me so happy to see like other coaches that are on a similar mission because there's so many people out there (laughs) that need the type of help that we can provide them where we have these physique goals. They have these weight loss goals. And part of the problem and where they got to where they are is because they've, hyper-focused and tried to micromanage their body weight and their body size. Yes. Thanks to diet culture and toxic fitness culture. And then they hit a wall.
1: (laughs) Yes. And pick up a lot of unhealthy habits along the way. And I know, unfortunately, you know, that's how my fitness journey started too. And that's part of why I wanted to help women get past that place to where they understand what their body actually needs and how to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Because when you work with your body instead of against it, you know, so much more is possible.
0: Oh my gosh, it's amazing the doors that open. And I think uh, you know, for you, you probably see this a lot too. The biggest barrier to people overcoming the gut issues, the hormone issues, regaining balance, regaining a healthy menstrual cycle, not feeling bloated every time after they eat is the mindset.
1: of definitely
0: we have to like and and you know again I I really have a lot of respect for you because you know I I feel like I see I get this vibe from you a lot where like you probably have a similar conversation with people when they come to you they want to work with you and they go if I would just be happy if I lost 20 pounds and you're like cool but we can't focus on that right now we have to focus on other things first (laughs)
1: Hmm. And I feel like at least recently this past year, since I've shifted my, you know, the way that I express myself online and the way that I talk to my clients, I honestly don't have that many women coming to me primarily trying to lose weight. I feel like a lot of them, it is, it is. And I feel like a lot of them, do they have a weight loss goal for sure? Yeah but they realize that you know there's a lot that's going to need to happen before we can really focus on yes. entering a calorie deficit whether it's related to their health whether it's related to their habits or their lifestyle they understand that mm-hmm. you know there are steps that we follow
0: oh for sure and that's not to say that either of us think that pursuing a weight loss goal or a physique goal is bad but there's ways to go about it that are way less damaging to relationships with food, relationships with movement, relationship, your, your hormonal and metabolic health and your digestive health. You know, you can go about it safely and in a way that's much smarter, um, than what typical, you know, routes people would take. And so my, the first thing I want to get into, and this is always a fun, I love, I love talking about this stuff. Um, what are in your you know, opinions, your observations, since you've been within the, in in the fitness industry and working as an online coach. And obviously we both leverage social media to speak to our audiences. And so we see, and we intake, and we talk to a lot of people, what are the biggest like health trends that are deemed quote unquote healthy that can Mm -hmm. actually be harmful to an individual as they're starting their journey with their digestive health, with their hormone health?
1: That's a great question. And honestly, when I saw this question you had written down, I was like, huh, that's how much of a rock that I live under to where I don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff online. It's more so like my clients are coming to me with these, these beliefs or having tried these, so called fads and I'm like, oh, like people do this. Right. So, you know, probably some of the biggest things in terms of gut health is just like the kitchen sink approach where you know, people are having symptoms, they're having bloating, they're having constipation, and they just buy so many random supplements, so many random probiotics and greens powders and digestive enzymes. And a lot of those things, you know, they're not going to hurt you like taking a digestive enzyme. There's no real harm in that. But with some of these things like probiotics, and I don't want to fear monger anyone by any means, but in very rare cases when there is a deeper rooted issue causing your bloat and constipation, like an infection or a parasite or a bacterial overgrowth, you know, certain strains of probiotics can actually make the issue worse and feed that overgrowth. So that's where, you know, there's a lot of information on the internet. If you were to Google, like, what kind of probiotics should I take? It's not easy, right? It's not clear what one is right for you. Um, and i think a lot of people are googling things like that and reading different blogs that say well you know you should take this herb for this digestive process and do this parasite cleanse those are the things that can be harmful <laughs> the parasite cleanse i laughed when i saw you wrote it up there i was like oh yeah that's horrible well
0: because that's like the, i feel like it, within the last year that was something that gained a lot of traction yeah. even on like tiktok and i i actually did a whole episode with Uh, Caitlin Jones, which Mm. you also know she's in our, um, our cohort together that which Kaylee and I met in a professional cohort with other business or with other fitness coaches that are in the online space, because being a solopreneur can be a little bit lonely. Um, and so we, we are in this cohort together. And so Caitlin and I actually did a whole ass podcast on that. We're like, you don't have a parasite. Like you very like the, the, the likelihood of somebody having a parasite if they live in the United States and they don't travel that often and they live within, you know, more or less a city that has some kind of water filtration built into it or what have you, the likelihood of you actually having a parasite.
1: Okay. I see a lot of parasites, but do you really? (laughs) Yes. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Oh my gosh.
0: Okay. So talk to us about that. So like with the parasite situation, this is what I always tell people is like, okay, You might not have a parasite, but if you do, rather than going and just doing a random cleanse, you need to go through diagnostic in order to properly treat it. So tell us about like, when you see this, what are the proper channels for people to go through if they actually think they have a
1: parasite? Definitely. So if you're not privy to the trend, it is apparently a very hot trend to see symptoms that could be related to a parasite, like fatigue, bloating, Some people have diarrhea, some people have constipation, um, pain in your, in your abdominal section, fatigue is probably one of the biggest ones too. And like fair, that very well could be a parasite, but it could be so many other things that are a lot less, you know, dramatic, so to speak. But if I do have a client that is presenting with a lot of those symptoms, usually we'll start with lifestyle changes. And I know we're going to talk about some of these more low hanging fruit things in a minute, but those are going to be things like meal timing and playing around with their stress management and their sleep and their hydration. Because there's a lot that can cause irregularity in your bowel movements, but it doesn't mean there's anything actually wrong with you. Right? right. You don't necessarily have to have an infection. But there are a lot of cases, especially with the kind of clientele that I work with, that the basics aren't enough. And we're doing the basics. Maybe we're pulling foods out and we're doing the elimination style diet, but they're still having symptoms. Mm-hmm. And that's when I test and I don't guess. So that is the key, right? So there are some tests that you can get through your doctor to test for parasites. However, they aren't super inclusive. So they may test for one or two. Mm -hmm. Um, I, in my practice, and I think Alina, you do as well, use the GI map stool test.
0: Love the GI map.
1: So that that test is super easy. You know, practitioners like ourselves can order those for you. And they test for maybe 10 plus different parasite infections. And I see those quite often, honestly, maybe like one out of every five to 10 GI maps that I order. And at that point, yeah, we're going to take the steps to get rid of it. And I feel like the most common symptoms that I see when somebody actually does have a parasite, the fatigue is a big one. Um, Feeling like you have a lot of food intolerances, bloating diarrhea and just overall inflammation so Mm -hmm. you know at that point once we determine hey you have a parasite i usually kind of try to give my clients all the options i'm like you can try to go to your doctor and get an antibiotic because that's going to be the fastest and most efficient or we can do a protocol as i call it right and usually that contains different herbs a probiotic um right and dietary changes to help overcome that parasite infection but if you're someone that is going and doing that protocol and don't have a parasite you're putting like your good gut bacteria at risk Ooh. yeah, and possibly making your GI health a lot worse.
0: Yes. And that, that is where I think, you know, I, I personally, as a coach find the biggest issue is it's so amazing that there's so much information out there that people can learn yeah. and try to advocate for themselves. But the reason that there are coaches like Haley, like myself is because context matters appropriate application matters. And because if you do things that are considered quote unquote healthy, but you do them at the wrong time or with the wrong reasons or it, it with a strategy that might not make sense for what you actually have going on, you do exactly what Haley just said. You can make things so much worse than how'd you just like slow down and slowed your role. And went you know, what, I, I didn't invest in my schooling and invest in my time and and resources and mentorships to learn about these things, I should probably not be self-diagnosing and self-protocoling myself through yeah. these types of things. Now that's not to say that there are not changes that you should be making like the lifestyle changes, like improving your nutrient intake, right? And so, um, for example, you know, we talk about Haley mentioned like the low hanging fruit and I actually funny fun, funnily enough. So I sent these, you know, considerations for our conversation today for the podcast interview to Haley. And then I was thinking about, it, I'm like, okay, I think I need to, you know, we're going into the fourth quarter and I kind of like to do a quarterly survey with my clients about like, okay, mm. where are we at with a few things? and I sent them a survey and it said, you know, I, where it talked about, you know, just sleep, stress management. And it was like sleep, sleep environment, stress management, and like digestive health behaviors, like chewing your food. How fast are you eating meals? Are you eating on the go? Or are you sitting down to eat and just like auditing these things where like, I talk about them a lot and I bring them a lot into people's plans of like, these are the things we need to make sure we're checking the boxes on. But sometimes when somebody does have a lot of issues happening, which, you know, I think both of us kind of work with what I love to call the, you know, we, we get the problem children yeah, on purpose. We do that on purpose. We purposely want the people that are having these higher level issues where hitting your macros, hitting the gym, drinking enough water, you know, getting in enough fiber on the daily basis. Those things are not cutting it you know, because we know that sometimes it does take more, and it's not that you're undisciplined or that you're lazy. Mm-hmm. It's that You need sometimes a more nuanced approach to overcome these things. Right. But at the same time, is it really your hormones? Is it really your gut health or is it your behaviors surrounding your approaches to various things? So what are your favorite sort of like low hanging fruit strategies that don't require a supplement that don't require people to, to, you know, go buy a million different things. And, you know, like you said, throw throw the kitchen sink at it from a supplement standpoint, but what are the things that people are skipping over in their initial stretch of them trying to address their health problems? What are your favorite things to get people to focus on right out of the gate?
1: Definitely. Um, you know we already kind of touched on a lot of the like the basic things like spacing out meals like depending on if you sway more towards constipation or diarrhea there are different changes that we can make to try to calm your bowels down essentially like my girls that have constipation I'll try to get them to have slightly larger and more spaced out meals so that way their their migrating motor complex or their digestive process essentially has time to occur, where if people are are trending towards, you know, looser stool, I'll usually have them have smaller, lower volume meals, slightly closer together. So that's something that's been helpful for a lot of my girls. But the I think the biggest thing is just stress management. Because we think about like, I don't know about you, but I get so many clients that have been diagnosed with IBS and that was it. You know, they're given a laxative and told to follow a certain low FODMAP diet and they're sent on their merry way. But if you actually, you know, get into the research and get into understanding what IBS really is, well, one, it's not fully understood. They don't right. really know what causes it, but it's believed but it's, it's to... provocative. So <laughs> it's <that>. provocative. <laughs> people go literally, <laughs> but it's it's believed to have a big association with the brain gut connection, right? makes a lot of sense. It's very neurological in nature. And of my clients that have been diagnosed with IBS, it makes perfect sense because they have a really stressful week, or maybe it's the week before their period and everything's just anxious inside of them. Their bowels are going to be more reactive. So one of the bigger things that I try to focus on with my girls is, you know, bringing stress management tools into their life that are for a lot of people more than just like taking deep breaths. Cause right. you know, somebody tells me to take a couple deep breaths. I'm like, all right, sure. That helps for a second, but does it really help? So getting to know like what my client's lifestyles are actually like, you know, when they go to work, what their kids' schedules are and helping them come back to things that are fun for them. Yes. Right? For me, I'm, I'm, this is a sh- very shameless thing for me. I love watching Netflix. Like I could lay on the couch and watch Netflix for like 10 hours if you let me. So one of my things that has significantly helped me reduce my work stress is letting myself watch Netflix while I do things that don't require like heavy loads of attention. Mm -hmm. And that gives me that fills my cup a little bit more, right? Or one of my clients, she likes to listen to like one of her favorite crime podcasts while she does her workouts, which freaks me out, but it makes her happy and it fills her cup a little bit. Or, you know, going on a walk without your phone or, you know, planning a girl's night every every once every few weeks and like making the point to fit that into your nutrition plan. Anything that you can do to fill your cup, because especially if you're someone that's been dealing with gut and hormonal issues for so long, I feel like half the reason because I've been there, you know, I have my own story with my gut and hormone issues. And I know you have your own, too. We spend so much time going down Google rabbit holes and staying up at night wondering why I didn't poop today and why was my period late? And we have all these things in our head, like, just like, let that be quiet for a little while. I know you're a big fan of journaling as well. I journal, even if it doesn't make any sense to anybody else. And then, you know, finding space for myself to do things that have nothing to do with my body or my health has been really helpful. So that's something I try to bring back to my clients.
0: I like to call that mindless joy. Like it doesn't serve any other purpose except for it just puts a little smile on your face. <laughs> like it doesn't need to be any more complicated than that. And um, it's it's funny that you say that because I feel like I've been having that conversation a lot with people mm-hmm. recently. It's like, cool, well, what do you do for fun? What do you do outside of lifting weights and outside of your job? What is, who, who are you and what brings you joy? And people go, huh? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. Oh boy. We have some more to (laughs) do because there's that, that there is that lack of like regulation too. And I feel like, um, you know, even now more. And so I'm I'm sure, you know, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've noticed this, but so many more individuals, I think women in their thirties, hi, it's me also, you know, Mm -hmm. I've been getting this like sort of late diagnosis, like ADHD situation, or now so many more people are getting diagnosed with anxiety and depression. And I don't think it's that so many more people are getting diagnosed and so many people quote unquote have it. I just think it's become much less taboo to talk about and seek resources for these things. So people are getting the information. And so they have this lack of executive function in various places and executive dysfunction can occur from ADHD, anxiety, depression, um, PTSD, CPS, CPTSD, any, any kind of, you know, mental health disorder can cause a break in these things that allow us to kind of tick throughout the day. And one of the biggest barriers to executive dysfunction or something that can really make it a lot worse across the board is this lack of like buffer time that people don't give themselves Mm -hmm. just time for nothing they see an open space on their calendar and they go, oh yeah, I'm free. Bitch. No, you're not. (laughs) Don't even start. Don't even put something there. Leave it open. Give yourself a little buffer time. Give yourself time to explore. Give yourself time to play. Give yourself time to sit on the couch and watch Netflix. Yeah. Just yeah. because your schedule is open does not mean you're free. And that's a huge mindset shift for so many people. When a lot of our stressed out girlies that are having gut issues that are our type A people feel like their worth is tied to their productivity. Mm-hmm. And so they have a very hard time relaxing. And that just that mindset shift of, I need to manage my stress. I need to build in time for hobbies, for things that bring me joy, that is is huge. And I will sometimes have to work with, you know, I have some people that we really work on that very heavily, just within the first, you know, 60 to 90 days of just getting them to the point where they feel okay, doing nothing for a little bit, like
1: giving yourself permission.
0: Yeah. And they almost need us as their coaches to say, no, you're allowed to do this. You have Mm -hmm. to do this for your health. And, and then it starts to kind of click and then people start to see, those improvements in like that IBS. IBS is like the bane of my existence, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone's like, oh yeah, I have IBS. I'm like, okay. But like, and it's such a misnomer too because it can mean so many different things.
1: And so many people just accept that that's their new normal when you shouldn't, you know, I've had people, I hate to say, I'm not a doctor. This is not medical advice, but like you can cure IBS because usually- Something is causing those GI issues. Whether it is, you know, mental, physiological, infection in your gut, there is usually something that is going to offer you relief, um, for sure. And there are kind of two other low-hanging fruits that I would suggest, like actual things that are going to help your gut that aren't taboo supplements. If my client can only afford like two two things to improve their health, one of them is going to be a magnesium supplement. I like magnesium glycinate, especially if you are having trouble sleeping with constipation, hormonal issues. Yeah. Supplementing with that is gonna help regulate it. And you know, you can also get magnesium from food like leafy greens, nuts and seeds, mm-hmm. beans and stuff like that. Um, I struggled with chronic ca- constipation for like most of my adult life, and I realized that I need a literal shit ton of magnesium to actually go regularly. Like mm-hmm. I take probably like 15. 1.5 grams a day. Wow. So it is a literal, like a lot. So that is a lot. That, yeah, it's a lot, yeah, <laughs> and I don't have diarrhea where other clients, like they bump it up and they're like, Haley, like I'm literally peeing out of my butt right now. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, like let's knock that back down. But especially if you're menstruating and you're active you need a lot of magnesium mm-hmm. and just balancing your electrolytes as a whole, right? Like I think a lot of people think hydration and they think water, you also need sodium. You also need potassium, you also need magnesium. And especially if you're not getting potassium, which not a lot of people get enough. Yeah, you can get it from your diet. But like, I'm actually drinking electrolytes right now. It's element. I'm not sponsored, but I should be because I drink like two of these a day. Yeah. Um, and I tell everyone, but without enough potassium, you're not going to poop like regularly. So a magnesium supplement is is really important. And then I'm a big fan of using herbal teas for digestive health. I'm not a tea person like by nature. That is not my mm-hmm. go to, but Um, Going through my own gut health journey and just seeing how much it's impacted my clients. There are different herbal teas that help with different things. Like if you're struggling with constipation, having a cup of ginger tea or eating ginger, if you're into that before a meal can be helpful. Um, Chamomile before bed can also help GI inflammation. Peppermint, everybody knows for an upset tummy. Mm -hmm. And then dandelion is one I feel like not a lot of people know about, but it's really good for liver detoxification. Yep and can help with bowel movements as well. So those are some things that have really helped me both personally and professionally with my clients that are fairly inexpensive and have no like chance of harming you really. You right. might get diarrhea if you have too much magnesium, but then you just dial it back and you're fine.
0: Right. Right. No, I love that. You said that. Cause there's, there's so many things that you can introduce that can help that aren't going to one break the bank or two be that difficult to bring into a routine on a day-to-day basis. Um, and I think that that's the important part is because, you know, so much of how people get to the point where they're dealing with so many of these issues is rooted in stress. Yes. But also in, dysregulated behaviors that are very heavily normalized, mm-hmm. like over-consuming caffeine, like, you know, people skipping breakfast, right. and not, like that, just like lack of that lack of a uh, basic health markers, right. Or like scrolling on your phone at night. My mm-hmm. clients love it when I'm just like, and they're, when they start to complain about their sleep, I'm like, cool. Have you been on your phone before you've been going to bed? And they're just like, yeah, fine. I'll get off my phone. <laughs> I'm like, but you gotta, you've got such
1: a difference. Oh my oh God. God. It's
0: huge. It makes such a big impact for sure. For sure. Okay. So, uh, one thing that I love that I've been getting a lot of questions about lately that I thought would be helpful for my audience to hear from you from another professional Um, because you probably have a unique take on this, given that you are a registered dietitian. So a lot of what you have learned and you can, you know, add to this, a lot of what you have learned about nutrition and nutrition strategies is really also from a disease management standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but intermittent fasting and fasting (laughs) in general, what thoughts, what feelings, what considerations go through your head when somebody starts asking about intermittent fasting? Yeah. Or fasting as a general concept.
1: Especially considering I work mainly with women, there are very, very rare situations that I suggest fasting at all because of how stressful it can be for the female body. And I think as females, we've all accepted that men can get away with a lot more than we can and be okay. But our bodies get stressed out pretty damn easily, unfortunately. And intermittent fasting is one of those things that is not great for gut health. It's not great for hormone health. The only real time that I would have somebody do that is maybe if they had really severe insulin resistance, but everything else was pretty much fine. Um, And, you know, in the fasting window, there's no intense exercise at all. Maybe you, you go for a walk, but And for most people, like 99% of people, I believe that just an overnight fast going 10 to 12 hours without eating is more than enough to allow the digestive process to occur, to allow autophagy to occur, which is a big trendy topic as well. Like, Our bodies have all these systems to detox and to turn over and all of that by themselves. We just have to give them the tools, which are going to be, you know, nutrient-dense foods that give you antioxidants and and fatty acids and all that stuff without having to make this drastic of a change. Correct. And I feel like a lot of people, (laughs) yeah, I feel like a lot of people just fall into intermittent fasting because they don't like make time to eat breakfast. Right. And it's like it's almost like the concept of girl dinner, but like girl breakfast is a large iced coffee. And I'm like, homegirl, like that is the opposite of what is gonna help you beat insulin resistance, fix your blood sugar. A
0: bar out the door in the car. And I'm like I mean a bar is better than
1: nothing. Bar is better
0: than nothing, but that's still not breakfast. So maybe not every day, but like in a pinch. I'd rather you have a bar than just like a coffee. That'd be great. Girl breakfast. Oh my God. Yeah. No, I feel. Uh,
1: like I girl feel... breakfast is like more of a thing than girl dinner. Like I got I my hair done this morning and I saw, I was there at 9am. So naturally like a lot of people are just getting lively. Like all of the hairdressers walk in with a, like, I don't know if it was an extra large from Duncan or what, but it was a big right. ass coffee. And I was like, oh, you probably didn't eat breakfast. You probably didn't eat breakfast. And I was like, okay. So For like, sure. For most people, if you're not doing anything like crazy intense in the morning, intermittent fasting isn't necessarily going to kill you, but it's not going to help, right? Because when you're, when you wake up in the morning, our cortisol rises, that's what promotes wakefulness, that's a good thing. But then if we don't eat breakfast, it stays really high and then we have coffee and then it gets higher and then, yeah, maybe you eat lunch, but does anybody hear that intermittently fast, whether it's purposely or not? eat lunch their first meal and then want to eat the entire world because that's what would happen to me or used to happen to me when I would do it. And it's just because your blood sugar regulation is off for the day. And it's very hard for most individuals to get enough calories in when they're fasting, because believe it or not, even those women that are overweight do not eat enough on a regular basis.
0: I feel like that's one of the biggest battles that I fight when it comes to helping somebody regulate their digestive health or their hormone health, or they're having a lot of PMS, or they're having a lot of signs of adrenal issues is Mm -hmm. they're not eating enough and they're not eating at appropriate windows. And that's, that's, again, I feel like that's, you know, diet culture at its finest, you know, convincing women yeah. that we don't need to eat that much food. I'm a girl. And it's like, you actually need more food than you realize because mm-hmm. your body's doing a whole heck of a lot on a daily basis. And by like sort of convincing yourself that you don't need to do this, or I'm going to do intermittent fasting sort of by default, because I just don't have time to eat my breakfast yeah. in the morning. Right? you know, you haven't been, even if you have a limited window of time in the morning, there are still strategies that you can implement to get a well balanced something into the first little, you know, within an hour of waking to help you get moving. And I feel like intermittent fasting, you know, it's been around for a really long time. Mm -hmm. The other issue that I see with it is people pursue it for the wrong reasons. They pursue it for weight loss. They pursue it for, um, you know, trying to control their calorie intake. And that's not really what it was meant for or developed for to begin with. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that the only time I really introduce any kind of what I even refer to more as a time restricted feeding window is when somebody is dealing with insulin resistance to a certain degree where we have to then really pay attention to, or they're having a lot of trouble sleeping at night. And then I find out that they're eating like a whole ass meal, 45 minutes before they go to bed. Yeah, And that's going to fuck with your sleep. Like if you're eating huge amounts of food, very close to going to sleep, your digestive system is going all night long. You're not going to get that deep rest that you need to get. Mm -hmm. And you're going to feel like complete ass in the morning. Um, but you know, those types of things, otherwise I don't usually recommend people fast, or if there's an exception where I have a nurse who is working night shift and then we try to shift their eating window to what it would maybe normally be if they were working and we just switch around their meal timing and their meal size. But even in that respect, that's still not intermittent fasting. That's just manipulation of your meal windows and meal sizes to accommodate supporting your circadian stress when you're engaging in a work shift that is,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, opposite of what your body wants to do
1: um shift work is really hard for hormones hard. for life <laughs> for life, yeah. For life. <laughs> yeah i don't have any clients that work work a night shift now but i have in the past and it's it can be very very demanding on your on your body obviously because it's like linda said the opposite of what your body wants to do so are you saying you do have your clients eat while they're on the night shift or you you don't
0: Um, Not typically, no. So what we try to do is we try to have them eat during the windows where they're awake, where they would normally be eating otherwise. So like if they're working, you know, let's say like 10 to six or something like that. I just picked some random numbers. Yeah. They're not eating in that sort of like overnight window as much as possible. They're eating a meal Or two before they go in, and then after they get off shift, you know, an hour or two before they go to sleep. Let's say they're going to sleep at like eight o'clock in the morning. They're eating when they get off shift, and then they're eating again when they wake up. But we're trying to avoid eating within that like overnight window as much as possible. Obviously, if they need to eat, I'm not going to tell them to not eat. Like. I don't know. Like for sure. They're getting lightheaded or they're really super hungry. And then at that point we would, we would maybe dive in a little bit deeper on like, okay, well, what foods are we eating prior to, um, what are we doing for electrolyte balance? Because you mentioned electrolytes earlier and that can play a huge role, mm-hmm. especially with management of cortisol, for sure. Electrolytes play a huge role. And if your cortisol is being tampered with, because you're on a night shift and that's impacting hunger, then we sometimes have to bring in, you know, a few just more strategies to really make sure that we're supporting healthy cortisol levels and cortisol management within the body as the day goes on or as the night goes on, I suppose, in this case. Um, but yeah, it, so I would typically try to have somebody avoid eating during a window where they would not normally be eating anyway, just to help bolster and reduce that circadian stress from already being on the night shift. Um, so that's, yeah. But, but again, that's a very, specific situation and it's not being leveraged for the purposes of fat loss or management of calorie intake. It's for Mm -hmm. the management of stress and adrenal health.
1: Like yeah. I've done it a couple different ways. I've had people that were fine not eating the whole time. Right. But I haven't have had others, especially like my nurses, where there is food freaking everywhere. I mean, I've worked in a hospital before. There is food everywhere. Somebody brought in cookies, you know, the break room has everything. So That's part of, you know, obviously a temptation. um, But like, I've had a competitor bodybuilding who was in prep on the night shift. So she couldn't go that long without eating. um, And same with like my nurse who had all the snacks around. So with them, like, we just talked about what was possible for them to get or pack for those times. And usually, you know, if you are eating on a night shift, or even if you're someone like, I'm not going to lie, I am someone that sometimes wakes up in the middle of the night and eats because I don't know why that happens to me. It's probably my blood sugar or something. Not really anymore since I kind of fixed everything, but I used to wake up at 3 a.m. and be starving. So I'd eat, and I'd be fine. And I'd go back to sleep. But yeah. for, my, for my shift workers, I suggest, you know, something that's higher in protein, has more complex carbohydrates, so things that contain fiber fruit is usually easy and like more, more dietary Mm -hmm. fat. So that way, you know, you're eating, but it's, it's more slowly digesting. Um, and if you're not going to work out right after, you know, you get your six, at least six to eight hour fast in when you go sleep.
0: Oh, for sure. Yep. Um, that, that, that too, also the balance of like, when you're eating on that type of shift, And if you're working out or not, that will also play a role in like what strategy you employ. Um, because sometimes too, you know, I will have nurses that maybe they're only working like three shifts a week. And so we just plan their workouts for the day's they're off. They're not. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, but some people are working for, and so they inevitably have one or two of those days where they're working also too, cause social life considerations will change where that happens. But, um, there's no, I think like right or wrong way to handle those like weird night shift shift work mm-hmm. situations. It's just about leveraging what you can and what is going to make somebody feel the most energized, feel the least stressed mm-hmm. with the most optimal outcomes. But again, there's that going back to the start of our conversation where I said context matters. Yeah. Right. What is the right thing to do? It's dependent on so many variables for the individual. Or sort of like, you know, even like you said, people go and they look for a probiotic and they're like, well, what is the best probiotic to take? Well, it depends. <laughs> people don't like that answer. Somebody, I have no. people ask me that all the time. They're like, what probiotic do you recommend? And I'm like, well, I don't typically recommend just like a probiotic, like as a baseline. Like I don't, yeah, I don't, know enough about you to say that that's going to be beneficial to you or not like in Mm -hmm. this situation, like start here first. And then we talk about the low hanging fruit. So I I think, you know, the big takeaway, I think from today's conversation is one, (laughs) there's a lot of things to consider. And there's a lot of context to consider as you're making choices for your health, especially in regards to digestive health and dealing with hormones. Um, and Two, if you don't know how to apply those pieces of information effectively mm-hmm. within your life, maybe hire a professional.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. I feel like a lot of people are really good about doing their research now, which it yeah. it is positive that there's so much information out there. But at least from what my clients have told me, it's just overwhelming with the amount that's out yeah. there. And- all the different opinions and knowing what's right for you and what's not. So that oh, is sure. where, you know, finding rep- reputable sources that you trust and,
0: and oh, invest sure. more
1: of your time in are, are really helpful.
0: Yeah. I just, I think, you know, we talked about how we've both had our own journeys. I just think back to that, you know, me of like seven ish years ago when I was first getting diagnosed with Hashimoto's and like mm-hmm. trying to sort out what do I do? And literally tried the the kitchen sink method and had to kind of go by process yep. of elimination. And I'm like, but at the time, you know, Instagram functional coaches, gut health coaches, this wasn't like a thing that was super prevalent at the time. So I sort of had to sort it out on my own, but it's so amazing now that there are so many professionals out there like Haley, like myself, like, I mean, there's, we could probably rattle off another handful of people that we know mm-hmm. that are like, okay, you actually know what you're talking about you can, you can help people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because again, and this is the other thing too, is if you start looking for for hiring somebody, ask their qualifications. I have so many people that come to try to work with me. And that is one question that they never ask. They just mm. blindly trust. Yeah. And I'm like, do you care about my certifications? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah. Like what, what what all have we done? Right. And for you, especially like your registered dietitian, you probably see a lot of questionable things, maybe, you know, or at least, you know, you've been through a lot of training and not big besides the fact that you're an RD. I know mm-hmm. that you've also done a lot of your own further education outside of that yeah. or the functional side of things. So don't be afraid to ask a professional, what are their qualifications? Can you talk? I tell people all the time. Can you talk to their clients, you know, somebody mm-hmm. wants to work with me and they're curious about XYZ and they're having some thoughts. I'm like, Hey, why don't I hook you up in the DMS with the client? Yeah. Just ask them what their experience is like, like just go talk to them. Um, and so be, as you're researching on the internet friends, take, take everything with a grain of salt and ask questions, yeah. ask questions of people, especially before you hire somebody to help you with your health, because you want to make sure that somebody's Keeping your best interests at heart, and they're not going to take you through all this crazy shit that doesn't spend all your money and and spend make you spend all your money and is not being a good steward of your financial resources or your time or your energy. Right? Um, Okay. Last question. This wasn't on. This wasn't on the document, but I think it's it's important. So you and I both are very much in the camp of uh, doctors tend to gaslight people when it comes to labs and they look at the labs and they go, Oh, it's normal. And you're like, this is, but this is not normal. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, however, we know that there are also sometimes, you know, in order to get the labs that really that, that, that are actually fully complete, that are looking at full sex hormones that are looking at actually enough of the thyroid function to see what's going on that are looking at, um, you know, more than just like, Just your cholesterol? Like, are we looking at your cholesterol and and looking at like your triglycerides to HDL ratio? Like, what are we pulling? Are we just pulling like your total cholesterol and like your triglycerides? And like, that's it. We're not looking at HDL. I've seen that happen, Mm -hmm. which is weird. I'm like, it's weird. Okay. But that's beside the point. Um, Mm -hmm. My question is in what situation? Okay. I might be shooting myself in the foot here. (laughs) <laughs> trying to figure out how to word this because i had somebody ask me this question because for several of my clients um i've started to include labs like initial comprehensive labs yeah. when they start to come work with me because i don't like to necessarily waste time with things however there are certain scenarios in which it's like do we have to have labs up front or can we try some of the more lifestyle based things first When we talk about being a responsible steward of our clients, financial resources, if they're already investing in coaching, and this is a great conversation too. If you are a coach who is listening, because I also work with other coaches and Haley is starting to do, and you're doing these in September, I think so, but keep, if you don't follow Haley and you are a coach, go follow Haley because she's doing power hours in September. And she's a lot of great resources as well for other coaches who are trying to support things. Do you feel as if sometimes labs get within the coaching industry, almost get a little too trendy and not enough coaches are focused on toggling things on and off for clients from a lifestyle perspective, from a basic strategy perspective, and they're just wasting people's time and money pulling things that don't need to be pulled?
1: Yeah, I think especially if you're new to the whole functional side of coaching, it's really easy to get really excited about running different tests and giving your clients protocols. And I've definitely been there too. Um, I don't require that my clients do blood work in the beginning. Obviously there are cases where they already have it from their doctor and that's great. And we'll use it or, you know, I'll run it if if they're able to do that at the time. Um, But it's not always necessary. I think that there's a lot that we can do without seeing all of those numbers, especially it's important to remember that, you know, a lot of the things in your serum blood work can change day to day. And that's where, you know, doctors get a bad rep. But I think a big thing to understand with doctors and how they view labs, it's very different than how we would view blood work. Right. Like when I was learning how to read labs um, forever ago and then applying it in a clinical setting when I did my dietetic internship, it was it's crazy how different it was there I was so nitpicky of the patient's labs and the other dietitians were like, that guy's in renal failure. Like his labs are going to be that bad. Like they're expecting, they're dealing with people that are sick. So like when you go to your doctor and they look at your labs, they're looking at the normal range as in like you're alive and well, you can walk around, you're fine. But like when a functional coach or a dietitian who you know, practices the way that we do look at that labs, we're looking for optimal, we're not just looking for normal. So that's where, you know, we are looking at a different range or a tighter range. And we're, that's where, you know, you might feel like crap, but your doctor's like, you're literally fine. And that's where, you know, your, your lab values may not be out of the clinical range, but they're probably trending in that direction. And I see this with thyroid a lot where in my eyes, that thyroid is sluggish. Like there is something we can do here. But to the doctor, you know, clinically, you're fine. You know, you're not going to drop right. dead. You may not need a medication. So that's just where I think the disconnect is, is doctors are taught to look at labs very differently than we've kind of learned to right. learn to do that. And I think that there is a thing called called protocol and like testing fatigue, too, where some for some clients, especially too much information is a thing. Yeah. So there are certain cases where I'm like, hey, you're feeling good. We're seeing improvements. You're asking for labs, but I don't think you need to spend money on them yeah. unless you want to. So it's it's very case dependent yeah. as to like, do we absolutely need to run them? You know, how big of a range are we looking at to consider normal or optimal? Um, mm-hmm. And we're really like Elena said, focusing on the basics and going more so by how you feel. Yeah. Cause there's always going to be something you could find that you want to fix, but it doesn't mean that it needs to be fixed. Yeah.
0: So. bio Biofeedback is huge. And mm-hmm. biofeedback being sort of the set of things that people experience on a day-to-day basis. And, um, just, you know, ignoring that, how are you feeling when you wake up first thing in the morning? Are you hitting an energy crash in the afternoon? Are you constantly struggling to shut your brain off and go to sleep? Like just even focusing on those types of things can be so, so, so helpful. And, um, that's why, you know, some people will come to me and they're like, well, like, well, like you do labs." I'm like, yeah, but like, we don't need to do them. I'm not going to do them like, or especially like if somebody does have labs from a doctor that they recently got something pulled within the last like 60 to 90 days. And I compare that with how they're telling me that they're feeling on a daily basis and kind of like observing them for like the first kind of couple of weeks, you know, together, see what their real energy trends are as the day goes on, what their digestion looks like as like the, you know, a couple of weeks goes on. And that gives you so much information (laughs) that a number on a paper would not tell you. Would not tell you. So, you know, labs are amazing and they're amazing tool, but they're not always like the end all be all of everything. Um, but I also love equipment people with like knowing, like if you want to know more, how to ask your doctor for more, like, How do you medically advocate for yourself? And I think that, you know, that, that part of the education is really important is in recognizing that your doctor is not going to pull or look at things the same way because they are trained differently. And I love that you offered that perspective with your personal experience, having done your dietetics internship and learning all these Mm -hmm. things and working with these medical practitioners. That's huge. So, um, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, I don't hate doctors like at all. I think that the medical system as a whole has a lot of flaws in it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there's a lot of room for people to actually learn and take their own advocacy into their own hands rather than just blaming the system.
1: Definitely. And that's
0: yeah. that's a big piece of it. So anyway, that was sort of like a one-off question that just sort of like popped in my head. I, like I was like, you know, while I have her here, we should we should we should we should talk about this. So <laughs> thank you so much. All right, you guys. Um, hopefully this was an enlightening conversation for you guys as the audience members. I think this was amazing to get another professional's perspective, somebody who has similar goals and a similar mission in the work that you do, because the work that we do is important. There's so many people out there that need the information that need the support. And even if you just go and you find like people like me, people like Haley, go follow Haley on Instagram. I'll make sure that her handle is tagged in the uh, description for the podcast notes, but you can start to garner this information, become an advocate for yourself, start to be discerning with the information that you're taking in for your own health. Um, and start to feel better because I think you said it at the very beginning, you know, it's, it's about getting people feeling the way that they they deserve to feel on a daily Mm -hmm. basis. Yeah. And, and feeling vibrant and feeling energized and not feeling like ass every single day. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience, Haley, where we can find you? Any, any, any parting, parting words of wisdom for (laughs) just...
1: (laughs) Uh, I think we covered a lot. That was a really, really fun conversation. But yeah, follow me on Instagram, shoot me a message so we can chat. Um, and you know, if you are in a spot where you're not feeling like yourself and you don't know what's going on, definitely allow yourself to you know take a take a step back, take a deep breath, and remove yourself from the Google rabbit hole. So that way, you know, you can understand maybe a little bit more of what it is that you need and reach out for the help that can be provided because it can be overwhelming. I get that.
0: Yeah, it can be. Well, thank you so much, Haley, for being here today. And, uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in to another episode of what the funk, where we tackle health hormones and healing without losing your damn mind. Catch you guys on the next one.